My name is Fred. I am the lead pastor here, and I am glad uh, that y'all are here to join us for the kickoff of a new series, uh, because today we start a series that's been brewing in my mind for a couple of years, um, because there's some topics that I've wanted us to discuss that really we just haven't been able to adequately address yet. Um, and uh, we're calling this series, Can I Say That?, because each sermon in this series is gonna have this one theme running through it. It's gonna have a scandalous statement that's biblically true, all right? Which is why the picture is this woman, like, can I say that? Because I want us to see that we can say some very scandalous, truthful statements um, because when we, when we look at our Bible, like I'm not trying to be scandalous. Like if you know me personally, you know that is the last thing that I wanna do, right? But when we look at scripture, scripture compels us often to think differently about ourselves and to think differently about how we treat each other. As a matter of fact, when you look at some of the truth that Jesus talked about, when you look at some of the truth that Jesus laid down for people to, to deal with, some of that truth was so scandalous, people wanted to kill him for it. That's our Bible. Those are the kind of truths that we're gonna be centering on for this series of Can I Say That? And, and, and just so you know, if you're curious about some of the topics that we're gonna be covering today, we're talking about politics, easy. <laughs> Trust me, it is the easiest one. Because next week we're gonna talk about money and how God sees money and, and, and how God sees how you spend your money. Then we're gonna talk about pleasure, like sex and food. See, it gets a little more complicated. Then... We're gonna talk about singleness and what scripture says about being single. We're gonna talk about homosexuality, what scripture talks about with that and how we engage in, in that world. We're gonna talk about racial issues. We're gonna talk about women in the church and leadership. See, easy. <laughs> Politics, it's easy actually. The rest of it is gonna be a lot of fun. But, but that's what I want us to know, I get these questions quite a bit, and I wanted us to be able to frame them in a, in a thought-out talk. I'm not going to address every issue on each of those topics either. But what I am going to do is I'm going to take a common thought that we have in our head, at least a common thought that I have in my head, dealing with each one of those issues, and I'm going to look at how the Bible addresses that common thought in our head. And that common, how the Bible addresses that common thought is where we're gonna get our scandalous statement of can we say that. Well, let's pray uh, because I need it. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your Bible does not leave us as we are, but continually convicts us and continually encourages us and continually changes how we think about the world around us and how we think about those around us. And God, I pray today that you would do what only you can do, that your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need conviction and would encourage us where we need encouragement. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, I remember my dad telling me when I was growing up, there are two things that people don't like to talk about. They don't like to talk about politics, and they don't like to, like to talk about religion. Well, guess what? Today, we're talking about both. And also, I've learned my dad might have been wrong. Facebook has taught me that people actually do like talking about politics. 
and they don't mind talking about religion. But here's what I've noticed about Facebook and what I've noticed about conversations uh, we're centering around politics is, is that politics are really easy to discuss when we're discussing it with people who agree with us. Right? It's when we are discussing politics with people who don't agree with us, with people who are on the opposite side of the spectrum around us, that's where it gets really hard to talk about politics. And this question that's in our head, this, this, this question, at least that's been in my head about politics, and this is the question we're going to address today because this is the question that underlines a lot of those conversations. This is what's bouncing around in your head. It's what's bouncing around my head. And today we're going to see what do we do when we believe this? What do we do when I think I'm right and I know you're wrong? Right? Have you seen a Facebook post that resembles that? That I think I'm right but I know you're wrong. How do you talk about politics when I'm right, at least I think I'm right, and you're wrong, or at least I know you're wrong? Have you ever been in this tension before? Have you ever been at a dinner and someone says something like this? I can't believe people would vote for Trump. And you voted for Trump? What do you do? Or have you ever been somewhere and someone says, I can't believe uh, people who would vote for Hillary, obviously they don't read their Bibles and you voted for Hillary, and you read your Bible. Have you ever been in conversations like that? Have you ever been in conversations where sides were taken? Maybe you've been there this week with these Supreme Court hearings because sides have been taken. And if so, most likely what's going through your head is what goes through mine is that I'm right and you're wrong, whoever you are. And here's what we do when we pick sides. And y'all, this is where it gets so dangerous for us as a church crowd. And listen, if you're new to fellowship and, and you're not of the Christian faith, I welcome you to listen. But this conversation today is gonna be for those who have said yes to Jesus. This is a family conversation. And I welcome you into that family, but I want you to know this is a conversation where I'm speaking to people who have said yes to Jesus. And what we can do in those conversations when we pick sides is we make this very dangerous assumption. And here's the assumption that we make. The assumption that we make is that God is on my side. Right? at least those of us in the church, those of us in the family of God, those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we think this because if I'm right and God is right, then if he's right and I'm right, then obviously we're on the same side. We're on the right side and whoever you're talking to is on the wrong side. See, and that gets very divisive. And today we're gonna address that because today we're gonna see what side God is on. Isn't that fun? If you have Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 22. We're gonna be going through verses 34 through 40. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, um, uh, and it's on page 685 in that Bible. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word uh, where you can just grab it and read it uh, as, as you want. You can also download the Bible app on your smartphone, and you can follow along there by clicking on events, 
and then clicking under Fellowship Asheville and, and everything you need is there. And let me tell you, as you're turning there, taking sides has been happening for as long as there have been people to take sides. And Jesus had to deal with this. Jesus had to deal with, with, with his own people taking sides. Now, if you're familiar with the, the world that Jesus grew up in, he was in the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was occupied by Rome. Right, And so, so the nation of Israel didn't even govern themselves at the time that Jesus was there. Rome was over them. And so that was one of the sides that Jesus had to deal with. But even in his own religion, there were sides to be taken because there were, there were Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and as a part of the Pharisees, there was this subgroup called scribes and lawyers. And, and all of those tensions Jesus had to deal with. And all of those groups wanted to know what side Jesus was on. Was he with the Pharisees? Was he with the Sadducees? Was he with the lawyers? And what we see in Matthew 22 is this little snippet of Jesus dealing with sides. Because all of these people thought they were right and they were wondering if Jesus was wrong. They thought they were right and they knew Jesus was wrong by some of his answers. And so this one group of Jews called the Pharisees. I'm gonna give you a little background here. The Pharisees, they loved the word of God. And when I say the word of God, I mean what we call our Old Testament. They, they loved it. They loved the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They loved the prophets. They loved the Psalms. They, they loved the Proverbs, all of it. And the Pharisees set their hearts to obey every single word that was in God's word. They did not want sin to be associated with their name at all. And the Pharisees obeyed all the law and the prophets. And this was kind of their thing. They were known for following every jot and tittle, as it was called. Everything in God's word they followed. If God said it, they did it. So they, of course, thought God was on their side because they had obedience and they followed all of God's word. And here's why this is important. Because the Pharisees thought they were right, but they knew that the Sadducees were wrong. Because the Sadducees, when they looked at the Old Testament, they didn't believe they needed all of it. The Sadducees, they only believed they needed the first five books of the Old Testament. They only believed they needed Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't need the prophets. They didn't need the Proverbs. They didn't need the Psalms because those had the, had the fingerprints of humans on them. So therefore, they weren't, they weren't pure. They weren't the core of the, of the faith. And so the Sadducees believed only the law, only the first five books of the Old Testament. Then, of course, they believed that God was on their side because they followed the core of what God said. They believed the real books of the Bible. They believed they were right and they believed the Pharisees were wrong. They knew the Pharisees were wrong. But then there was this other group of people and they were kind of a subset of the Pharisees because they believed in all of the Old Testament. And they're called lawyers or scribes as you read through the New Testament. And those guys didn't just follow every word of the Old Testament like the Pharisees did. They were experts in it. That's why they're called lawyers and scribes because they didn't just follow every jot and tittle. They knew every character in God's word. They were experts in it. So lawyers knew all the law and the prophets and, 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 and of course they believed that God was on their side because they understood exactly what he meant, right? When he wrote the Old Testament. 
And they thought they were right and they knew the others were wrong. And Jesus interacts with all three of these groups. And in this interaction, we're gonna see what side God is on. And when we do, I think we'll see what we do when I think I'm right, but I know you're wrong. So let's look at what Jesus did. In verse 34, it says this. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So, so what had happened is in an effort to see what side Jesus was on, in an effort to see if, if he was with the Sadducees or if he was with the Pharisees, the Sadducees had just asked Jesus a question to expose what side he was on. And unfortunately, Jesus shut them down, right? He didn't, he didn't answer the question the way that they thought they were gonna do. So now they team up with the Pharisees and they wanna see uh, who's right and who's wrong. And so these tensions are building and now it's the Pharisees' turns. And so what they do is they send their best guy in. They pick one of their lawyers, the one of the scribes who knows everything about God's law. And they think this guy this guy can, can pin Jesus in a corner. Have you, did you ever have that guy in one of your classes when you were a student? That guy who knew every answer, that girl who knew every answer, that one that always raised your hand, she's the Hermione of the group, right? That's what this guy is, he's, he's just like her. He's, he's the one that always has his hands up and he knows. And so they send this guy in. They send their best up to prove who was right and who was wrong. Look at verse 35. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now keep in mind, they're asking the guy who wrote it. Right? What's the greatest command? And remember, these lawyers are experts. And he asked Jesus, of all the commands in the law, of all the 600 plus commands that are found in God's word, which one is the greatest? See, this lawyer knows what he thinks is the answer. That's his job, is to know the answer. He wants to see if Jesus is right. And look at Jesus' answer in verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, if you're this lawyer, you're thinking, what? This one wasn't even in the top 10, right? You've got 10 commandments, and they're listed in two places in the Old Testament. They're in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter five. And what Jesus did is he passed over Exodus 20, he passed over Deuteronomy chapter five where they're listed again, and he went to Deuteronomy chapter six and said, actually, this is the greatest commandment. And here we see what Jesus puts first. Now keep in mind, you've got these three groups thinking they're right and Jesus is wrong. You got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes and the lawyers. And what Jesus is saying, and I think this is the brilliance of what Matthew did when he wrote this gospel. If you, if you step back a little bit and, and, and study the book of Matthew, Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew to Jews to show them that Jesus was king, that he was Lord of all to be worshiped. And what Matthew is doing is, is he's writing about something that Jesus did 
where he's looking at this group of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, and they're all coming to him saying, saying, we're the best, right? The way we do religion is the way you need to do religion, right? And each of them come with their own nuance. And what Jesus says is that, is to the lawyers, listen, it isn't your expert knowledge that comes first, the head. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, it isn't your perfect obedience, it isn't your soul that comes first. And he looks at the lawyers and he says, it isn't holding to the core of the Old Testament, it isn't your heart that comes first. What comes first is total devotion. To love the Lord with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. And it is to love God with everything you have and everything you are. That's the greatest commandment. And here we see what God thinks of taking sides because he could have sided with one, but he didn't. What we see is that God doesn't take sides, he takes over. He didn't want the Pharisees to continue to be Pharisees. He didn't want the Sadducees to continue being Sadducees. He didn't want the lawyers and scribes to continue being lawyers and scribes. He wanted something better for them than the side they were on. He wanted complete and total devotion. That God doesn't that God desires all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our souls, all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our souls. You see, every side believes that it's right and knows the other side is wrong, but God doesn't choose sides. He wants devotion, complete devotion. And here's what it means for us. When we think I'm right and you're wrong, and here's our scandalous statement when it comes to politics. When we, when we take this truth and we move it into our current world and our political climate, this is our scandalous statement, is that God's not political. God's not political. In other words, God the Father isn't Republican. Jesus isn't a Democrat, and the Holy Spirit isn't Libertarian. Because you've thought it, haven't you? God doesn't take sides. When I was back in Texas, you know, football is the thing in Texas. See also Friday Night Lights, the TV series and the movie and the great marketing campaign that they have. But when uh, my wife was teaching school, she worked at a Christian school and they had a high school as part of their Christian school. And so we went to some of the football games and I would see this interesting thing happen at these Christian football games is that before the game would start, uh, the players at the, on their own sidelines would huddle together in a circle and start praying. And so I was talking to, to one of the coaches and I asked him one time, I was like, what do y'all pray when you're in this huddle? They said, well, we pray for safety. We don't want anybody to get hurt. I was like, okay, that's good, that's good. And then we pray to win. I was like, okay, so I have a question for you. If you're praying to win and the other Christian team is praying to win, who does God pick? I guess the winning team is, is who God picks. I don't, I don't know. But our God isn't political. He doesn't take sides. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at Scripture, you see that God will use any side to bring us 
to confession and to bring us to repentance. See also the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. When they would enter into sin, God didn't mind using nations that were scandalous to them to bring them to confession and to bring them to repentance. Why? Because God doesn't take sides, he takes over. He wants our total devotion. But how does this help me when I think I'm right and I know you're wrong? Well, if, if you're a person who, who, who there is this devotion to God and we look past sides to follow God with all of our mind, soul, and strength, this is what happens next. Look, look at this next verse. Because right now, everything is great and it's about to get real sticky about sides. Because Jesus goes ahead and answers the next question this lawyer's gonna ask, which he doesn't, because he just asked which is the greatest. Jesus answered that, but then he's gonna come back with this. He goes, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when you love God with all your mind and soul and strength, what happens is that you love the person that you know is wrong. Because that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you love your neighbor, i.e. Pharisees, you love the Sadducees. Lawyers, you love the Sadducees. Sadducees, you love the Pharisees and the lawyers. And you love them like you love yourself. You see, this verse says that you love them as you love yourself. And here's what this means for us today. It means that you love the person that you know is wrong as if they are right. Now, doesn't that change the conversation? You love the person you know is wrong as if they are right. Now, you don't have to agree with them. You love them. And this is so hard, but y'all, I'm gonna tell you why this is a family conversation. I'm gonna tell you why this is for those who have said yes to Jesus because we have something that the rest of the world doesn't. The people that lose their God-given mind on Facebook, we have something that they don't and it's the gospel because we have a God who loves us and who created us, and who desires to be in a personal relationship with us, so much that he gave his son to die for us. And y'all, he did that. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And I think that's fairly true. Nobody was around 2,000 years ago in here, right? You weren't there when Jesus died. Therefore, he died while you were still sinning. You see, this idea of loving the person you know is wrong as if they are right, it is impossible without this gospel. Because you see, Jesus didn't take sides with the Pharisees and Sadducees and lawyers, and he doesn't take sides with us either. We take his side. That's the secret. His death and resurrection paid for the way for us to have a good and personal relationship with the God who loves us and created us. And his death and resurrection did away with the penalty and the power of sin in our life. That's our gospel. 
And Jesus did that when we were the one that was wrong. Jesus did that when we were the ones that that had sin in our life. And we've all been wrong, and God provided Jesus to love us when we were wrong. And here's what's crazy. Because of Jesus and because of this gospel, even though we are wrong, even though we still sin, when God looks at us through Jesus, he sees us as right. The theological term is called imputed righteousness. It means a righteousness, a righteousness that's not ours, that's given to us. And that's what Jesus did. And church, here's the deal. If you believe that gospel, you believe a God that loved you when you were wrong. And he gave his son to die for you. It makes sense that if we believe that gospel, we can do that for our neighbor. And we can love them when they're wrong. We can love them when we know they're wrong because of this gospel. See, if God can do this for us, certainly we can do that for others. And can I tell you what this means for us as a church politically? It means this church, because we believe in this gospel, we bank everything we have on this gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are all fools, and we believe that. And we trust that you do too. And when that happens, when the gospel is the center of everything that we do, it means that this church will always be full of people on a variety of the political spectrum. We'll have Democrats, and we'll have Republicans, and we'll have Libertarians, and we'll have Independents, and we have people we don't even know what they are because the gospel shapes our politics. The politics don't shape our gospel. You see, if you have a church where everybody believes the same thing, if you have a church where everybody is Republican or everybody is Democrat, my fear is that they have let politics shape their gospel. And that is a tragedy. Because, see, when the gospel shapes our politics, we can all come together with different views anchored in the same gospel. Here's what's crazy. Republicans, this is gonna shock you, but there are Democrats that are Democrats because of their belief in the gospel. Democrats, this is gonna shock you, but there are Republicans who are Republicans because of their belief in the gospel. Libertarians, you know. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, that's fun. But the gospel is what motivates Democrats that I know. It's what motivates Republicans that I know, the same gospel. And when we come here to worship God, we're choosing his side. And when a church has the gospel that filters our politics, we can all come together with different views. And here's what's scary when when our politics shape our gospel, is we actually hate the people on the other side. And hate becomes part of a church culture. And y'all, God doesn't bless that. We become a church of one side, and this isn't us, and this isn't our gospel. And can I tell you what this looks like practically? Here's what happens when you go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or, or wherever you go where you're caught in those tough conversations where people are taking sides. If you love the person that you know is wrong, your complaining turns to curiosity. 
instead of taking sides, instead of saying, I'm right and you're wrong, what happens is you begin to ask questions. You treat the one that you think is wrong if they're right, and you're curious. You ask questions instead of give statements. You seek understanding instead of passing judgment. Now, you don't have to change your views, but your posture is one of love and not one of condemnation, not one of of criticism, not one of judgment. This is evidence of our gospel. Yo, my mom... We, we have political conversations all the time, even when we're not, even when I'm not having a political conversation, sometimes we have political conversations, if you have someone in your family like that. And it's so fun for me to hear why she believes what she believes, because nine times out of 10, we agree on that. Curiosity over criticism. You know, I talked about the, the, the football game I told you about. Um, I went to a football game here in Asheville recently where I saw something shockingly different that made me realize, no, this, this is what church is. Because instead of the football teams praying on their own sidelines at the end of the game, they came together at the 50-yard line and all prayed together. Two teams coming together, expressing their devotion to God. Y'all, that's the church. The church is our 50-yard line where we come together and express our devotion and worship to a God who loves us and a God who created us. This week, there's been a lot of stuff in the news and we feel like we have to take sides. And maybe you need to take a side. Great, do it. But let's be a church that loves the other side as if they're right. Let's be a church that loves, not a church that judges, not a church that criticizes. Because here's the deal. You know, you're watching the news. You don't know either one of those people. You can't judge and you can't criticize without relationship. Now, if you knew them, That'd be a different story. You'd have a little bit more to anchor yourself on. But all you know is what CNN tells you of them. All you know is what Fox News, what ABC, what NBC, wherever you get your news. All you know is what they tell you of them. Church, let's love those that we think think are wrong as if they are right. Let's not complain. Let's be curious. Let's not judge. Let's seek to understand Because our God's not political, and we gather to worship him, not a political party. And we gather to worship him in complete devotion. And when we do, we love the ones that are wrong as if they're right. Let's pray. Jesus, you have told us to love our neighbor as ourself. And that is hard. Because sometimes our neighbors are crazy. They are. And, and, and yet, even in the midst of their crazy, they have your image stamped on them. And they have dignity and they have worth 
and they have value because you created them. And God, I pray for us as a church that you will show us how to love our neighbor as ourself. How to show them the love that you gave us. Father, may we show them that kind of love, that sacrificial, that giving love, 